weight and for being in shape? Anybody? <laughs> eat right and exercise. All right, write that down. Eat right and exercise. That's how you become the perfect weight and the perfect shape. All right, does anybody know the theory of relativity by Einstein? E equals mc squared, right? All right, so now you know the theory of relativity, right? Seems simple, doesn't it? Seems naively simple. We have a uh, quote here by uh, Supreme Court Justice, I think it was, Oliver Wendell Holmes. He says this. He says, I wouldn't give a fig for simplicity this side of complexity, but I give my life for simplicity on the other side of complexity. What he was talking about was just understanding that there's a, we can understand things or just know things without that full, complete understanding. And that's like simplicity. So we have a graph here to kind of explain what he was talking about. Hopefully, next slide. There we go. So if you look at that big top thing, that's complexity, that bell curve. And if you have simplicity before complexity, we're kind of dumbing it down and we might not understand it. But if you go through the complexity, understand it, on the other side, it's simple. And it all makes sense. And what he was saying was, I don't really care about the simplicity without the understanding. I wouldn't give a fig for it. But I give my life to have that simplicity after the complexity and after understanding it. So what we want to look at today is we want to kind of take that same model. And we want to look at repentance and forgiveness. The simple thing is that if we repent of our sins, God forgives our sins. It's that simple. And at the end of this morning's message, I want you to be able to say, if I repent of my sins, God will forgive me my sins. But I want to go through the complexity thing and, and dig down deep so that we understand what real repentance is. So that we'll have this appreciation, this understanding of what real forgiveness is. So we're going to do it in two ways. We're going to we're going to look at the story of David and Bathsheba, and then we're going to look at David's, or I mean one of the Psalms that reflects this. So the story of David and Bathsheba starts with these words. In the spring of the year, the times when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all of Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites, and they besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. With that setup, you just know that something's happening, right? Because David should be here, but he's not. He stays back. And sure enough, something does happen. So David's the king, and he should be out with his men, but he stays back. And Scripture says that one day in the afternoon, it's in the afternoon, he gets up off of his couch, and he walks up onto the roof. So picture one of those rooftop balconies where you're overlooking the city, and you can see down. And he sees this woman bathing, and this woman is beautiful. And so he asks who she is. And they say her name is Bathsheba, and she's married to a guy named Uriah. So David sends a messenger, a messenger to go and get her, to bring her back to David. And the messenger does. And this woman ends up getting pregnant. David now tries to cover up what he did. And he hatches this great big plan. He's going to bring Uriah back from the war, back from the battle, to give him a report of how things are going. And while he's there, 
he assumes that Uriah is going to stay with his wife and later on he's going to find out she's pregnant. He's going to be overjoyed because now he's going to have a son. So Uriah comes back and he delivers this report. He gives it to King David. King David, they have this time together. He asks him all these questions. Find out how the battle is going. What are they doing? Where are they going? And then he says, he sends him home to go to his house. So David then goes to sleep. He's satisfied. He thinks that everything is done, that all his problems will be hidden, that no one will ever find out what's going on. His plan is working out perfectly. But the problem is Uriah doesn't go home. Uriah sleeps at the door of the king's house with all of the other servants of the king. David finds out and he says, why? why? You've been at war. Why didn't you go home? Why didn't you go home to your wife? And Uriah says this. He says, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in an open field. Should I go back to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. So David comes up with plan B. David tells him to stay another day, to come and have dinner with him again. So he comes and have dinner with him again. And this time David gets him drunk. And he thinks for sure he's going to go home now. He's drunk. His, everything is weakened. All of his defenses are going down. He's going to go home. But Uriah doesn't. Uriah stays with the other servants again that next night. See, Uriah is filled with honor and dignity and righteousness and strength and willpower. He is the kind of man that all men should strive to be. So David comes up with plan C. And in the morning he writes this letter and he sends it along with Uriah to bring back to the war. And in the letter he writes this, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back so that he may be struck down and that he may die. So the commander does as King David told him. And Uriah dies. And David takes Bathsheba to be his own wife. And she has a child. God then sends a prophet named Nathan to David. And this is, let's read this. This is 2 Samuel chapter 12. Verses 1 through 9. Again, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and he said to him, There were two men in a certain city. One was rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat his morsel, and he would drink from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling, meaning the rich man, was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, and he prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, that man who has done this deserves to die. And he should restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hands of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wife's into your arms. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? to do what is evil in his sight. 
You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. David is completely blindsided by the truth. There is no escape. There is no denial. He sees his sin clearly. You know what? David is called a man after God's own heart. And we're going to find out why. But here he is. He's caught in this sin. What does he do when he is confronted with his sin? And what should we do after we sin and after we see our sin and we are confronted with it? You know, the Psalms in many ways can be looked at as someone's journal as they pour themselves out in this act of writing. But, and during this time, we get to see into their soul. We get to see into their heart. All these years later, we see what it was that they went through. And this Psalm, Psalm 51, is, is a written prayer to God after David sinned and after Nathan confronted him. So let's read it. And while we go through this, we're going to see that if we repent, God forgives us. So, Psalm 51 says this. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins, for I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And then I will teach transgressions your ways. And sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, in whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. See, David sees his sin. And David feels the weight of his sin. And he repents. And God forgives him. And God restores him. This passage teaches us about real repentance and real forgiveness. If you repent, God will forgive you. And so before we go any further, I just want to say that this is for believers and for unbelievers. 
David was a believer. David was a believer who had sinned. And he needed to repent. Martin Luther says, says this, quote, we have this, he says, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. If you're a believer, repentance has to be part of your life because we sin and we need to repent. So, let's kind of take this apart, kind of the complexity part, and just see what these different aspects of um, sin is and what repentance is. So first of all, to repent, we need to see our sin clearly. We need to see our sin clearly. But the problem is, though, is that sin is very, very subtle. And sin tends to blind us, so we don't see our sins as sins. Or we just think that they're minor and they're inconsequential. They're just small things that don't really matter. And so easy for us to see the sins of other people, but not to see the sins of our own self, right? David saw the sin of the rich man, and he was outraged. And he cried out, that man deserves death because he did this, because he has no pity. But he didn't see his own sin. How could he have not possibly seen his own sin? And how is it that we don't see our sins and that we don't see our sins clearly? A couple of different reasons. First of all, we minimize our sins. You think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And so because we minimize and because we don't think it's that big of a deal, we never consider sin as being a sin against God. And as long as we think it's no big deal and it didn't hurt anybody at all, we will never look at it as a sin against God. Another thing that we do is we justify our sins. We tell ourselves, I needed to do that. I, I, I didn't have a choice, I just had to do it. Or we say it didn't really hurt anybody. Nobody really got hurt, it wasn't really that big of a deal. Or it's just, just the way the world works. I mean, everyone does this. This is just, just what you do, it's just the way it is. Everyone else is doing The other thing that we do is lots of times we blame other people. If only they hadn't pushed my buttons. They made me do it. They make me so mad. They do that. Another thing we do, and this is where sin is very, very subtle, is we become numb to sin through repeated sin. Right? We sin, and it looks like nothing happens. There's no consequence. No one finds out. There is nothing really happens at all. And then we sin again. It's a little bit easier, and nothing happens again. No one sees us. No one finds out. We're not embarrassed or anything at all. And we become numb. And we end up sinning a little bit more and a little bit more. And it becomes a little bit easier and a little bit easier. And then those sins begin to go, become bigger and bigger. And they tend to go deeper and deeper. We never start out with some great big sin. But it's a series of small sins. One following another. One following another. And they grow. And we don't even see it. And so in order to repent, we need to see our sin clearly. And you know, God uses different methods for us to see our sins. He uses our circumstances. He uses our conscience. He uses our heart. Sometimes he uses other people like Nathan who bring, who come into our life and are clear about it. Sometimes God does that. Sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need to be the Nathan to bring into other people's lives. Now, 
being Nathan isn't to be on this hunt for sin, to be on this constant hunt, to be on this constant look, to be constantly telling us, but there's just relationships where there's the necessity, but there's this gentleness and there's this love that goes through this. Let's look at 2 Corinthians uh, 2, verse 4. Um, on this overhead, we've got a bunch, but first of all, we're just going to look at verse 4 right here. Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and Paul has kind of done what Nathan did, and he kind of called him out on his sin and said, look, you need to watch this stuff. But look at his attitude. Look at his heart in verse 4. He said, I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. That doesn't, someone, that doesn't sound like someone who's on this big hunt to find sin in other people and to bring it into their face over and over. But this is the attitude of someone who out of love out of anguish, out of tears, who has thought this through and said, this is going to be a hard, hard conversation. This is going to be difficult, but I feel like I should help them through this. But it's with this heart. And Paul is almost, a, he's apologetic that he had to bring it up. And he grieved him in order to do it. But Paul did what it was. And that's kind of the, the attitude that we have. Um, the other thing that we need to do, not only do we need to see our sins, but we need to feel our sins. So look at the rest of this passage right here, these verses out of here. And again, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians. He said, even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you're grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Do you see that? As we feel our sins, as we see our sins, as we feel our sins, that is going to lead us to repentance, but we need to feel those sins. Um, David says, I know my transgression. My sin is ever before you. Against you and you only have I son, and it was evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David felt the full weight of his sin when Nathan confronted him. And when he felt it, he realized that he had sinned against God. He realized that God is just. God is blameless. And God could punish him. David knew that because of his sin, he could be cut off from God. He could be cut off from the Holy Spirit. And so he pleased with God, cast me not away from your presence. Remove not your Holy Spirit from you. You know, one thing this passage I always thought was kind of strange was that, and um, maybe it does to you, but does this seem weird to you? David says, against you and only you I have sinned. He's talking to God. He says, against you, God, and only you have I sinned and know it is real in his sight. Doesn't that lead you to, <laughs> it's like, well, what about Bathsheba, right? And what about Uriah? Certainly he was sinned against, right? And what about Joab? He had to go in and do David's work, right? And so our sin does affect other people. There's no question about that. But it's sin against God because God said, do not commit adultery. And David committed adultery. God said, do not murder. But David, murder. And so when we repent, 
we see the effect that it has on other people. There's absolutely no question about that. And when we sin against other people, we should be asking for their forgiveness, and we should be confessing our sin to them. But we see that that sin ultimately is against God. All sin is against God. And all forgiveness is from God. See, it's God alone who can forgive us. It's God alone who can pardon us. It is God alone who can free us from punishment. See, David is not just concerned with consequences. He's not just sorry that he got found out. He's not just worried about what's going to happen now. He's not just filled with regret that says, that was so stupid. Why on earth did I do that? I totally messed everything up. No, he doesn't do that because his repentance is real. And real repentance says, God, I have sinned against you. See, real repentance is from the heart. It's not just that surface regret because of the way that things turned out. It's not just disappointment because um, we messed things up or we made things worse for ourselves or we made things worse for those people around us. But it's from the heart. And it's that true understanding that we sinned against God. And it's that understanding that there's nothing that we can do ourselves to get restitution for our sins. There is no work that we can do. There's no way to earn that forgiveness. David lived in a time when after you sinned, you would bring a sacrifice to God. In reality, this was a picture of what Jesus Christ was doing. And bringing that sacrifice didn't forgive their sins, but Jesus Christ forgave their sins. But this was a picture of whether they could understand what they were doing. But yet it appeared that they could do something. It appears that it was some work that they could do, in some way they could earn it, that they had some penance that they would do that would make up for sin. But David realizes this is not enough. And he cries out to God, he says, you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. See, real repentance is repentance from the heart. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart God will not despise. See, God is after your heart. And he wants you to repent from your heart. So, in the middle of this, and so we're, again, we're trying to go through kind of deep, see the complexity of this, and we're going to keep walking through that, but I just want to take one little interim break. Because right in the middle of this whole um, passage are these two lines that say, Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. And when I was going through just preparing for this, I'm like, where do I want to put this piece? Because this piece is, in some ways, stands alone, and in some ways it's woven through every single thing that's in there. But you see, we long to be smart enough to see the subtleties of sin and to not fall into it. And this passage, this single verse, is one of the key weapons in our battle. And it's that it's truth and wisdom in the secret heart. And so I'm just going to take this, this little interlude here, talk about this best secret weapon that we have, and then we're going to go back into looking at the complexities of this. But this is one of the key weapons in our battle against sin, and it's having truth inside of us. It's having wisdom in our secret heart. I once heard someone say, what we think is who we are. What we think is who we are. So what was David thinking? What was going on inside of his heart? What was he telling himself? 
What did he delight in? I mean, his inward being, this truth, this wisdom of his secret heart. He says, I don't really need to go off to battle with the men. I deserve to rest, just to sit on the couch for a little while. I'm just plain tired. And he tells himself, it's okay to stare at that woman. It's okay to just see her and talk to her and be with her. I mean, I realize she's married, but nothing's going to happen. And when something did happen, what did he tell himself after that? What was he telling himself in his secret heart? I need to hide this. No one can find out about this. It will be all over if anyone ever finds out about this. I'm the king. And not only am I the king, I'm the king of Israel, which is the king of God's chosen people, which is the representative of God himself. No one can ever find out what happens. So what else goes on in his mind? Well, this is fine. I'll just bring back Uriah, right? He's just like me. First thing he's going to want to do is be with Bathsheba. And no one's ever going to know if it's going to happen. When that doesn't work because of Uriah's honor, inside of David's racing heart, what wisdom does he next use? I've got to think of something fast. I know, I'm going to get him drunk. Then for sure he's going to go home to his wife. No one will ever know. See, the wisdom of sin always says hide it. Always says no one will ever know. But you know what? Ultimately, sin cannot be hidden. All sin we've fallen up. 1 Timothy 5.24 says this, The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. Some people we see in their sin is just right out there. It's like, that's pretty obvious we can see that. Other ones, the sin is hidden. Some go before and some come after, but it says here that no sin will be hidden. David is trying to do this. What wisdom does he say next? Okay, now that it's out, the cat, it's, it's getting closer. This whole plan didn't work, right? David's wisdom says, do whatever it takes to deal with it. Whatever it takes, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send Uriah out to the battle, and you know what? He's going to come home a hero. He's going to get a hero's burial. He's going to be a hero. He was one of the men that fought. This is good. This is good stuff for everybody involved. See, and this web that David have wove now holds him. And now suffocates him. Where does your wisdom come from? What teaching are you listening to? What drives your decisions? See, his wisdom was not from above, coming down from the Father of lights. It was not the wisdom of the Spirit. He didn't recognize it before, but he does now. He sees things clearly now, right? His hindsight is 2020. He did not have the truth and wisdom in his heart but he had lies and deceptions. So one of the greatest tools against sin is truth in the inward being. It's God's wisdom in our secret heart. And when we have this in our hearts, we're going to be able to see the lies, and we're going to be able to see the deceptions. How many times have you said to yourself, that was so stupid, what was I thinking? What on earth was I thinking? God's wisdom in our heart will help us see clearly. In the book of James, it says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously and without reproach. Psalm 119, longest book in the Bible, um, or longest chapter in the Bible, I should say, um, says this, just a couple verses out of these. Let's just look at this, because this theme runs throughout this uh, psalm. How can a young man keep his way pure? 
by guarding it according to your word. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimony, not to selfish game. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Give me life in your way. Do you see how the psalmist in here doesn't naturally have this? If you don't have this naturally, which you won't have this naturally, go to God and say, God, give me wisdom. I don't have it. I keep doing the same thing over and over. I keep falling. I keep failing. I keep doing it. Give me wisdom. Give me knowledge. Give me this so I can walk in your ways. I can walk in your statutes. That's what he's saying. I'm going on 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the days. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. And therefore, I hate every false way. Our wisdom loves every false way. But this understanding of God's word, this wisdom in our hearts says, through your precepts, through your word, I get this understanding. And now that I understand, I hate every false way. So, getting back into repentance. When we repent, we long for purity. When we repent, we long for purity, right? When we really see and feel our sins, what do we experience? We feel this uncleanliness from it. We feel this just polluted, corrupted, dirty thing from it. And we want to be cleansed. It's a natural desire God has put it there, right? We want to be restored. We want this clean heart. We want the Holy Spirit. We want God, and we want the joy of salvation. We want to be made whole again. Listen again to David's cry. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Not only do we have that desire for purity, but we have this desire to glorify God as well. Right? We long to glorify God when we repent and we feel this forgiveness. We want to teach transgressors God's way, to see sinners return, to sing aloud about God's righteousness and to declare God's praises. But see, sin keeps us from praising God. Sin keeps us from glorifying God. Sin keeps us from telling other people about God. It closes our mouth and silences our tongues. Right, But when we repent and we know God's forgiveness, we want to praise him, and we want to glorify him. Now, it is true for you that your fear may keep you from telling people about God, but your heart will want to. And we may be frustrated because we're so fearful, and we may chastise ourselves because we're so fearful, but we know it's true because we want to praise God. And we would if we were bold enough. And we do thank him inwardly. And we do praise him inwardly. But if the desire to praise him outwardly is there, and if we were bold enough that we would, we could. And this is what it shows you. That's why the Apostle Paul, so many times the Apostle Paul in the New Testament says, pray for my boldness. Pray that I can speak freely. Pray that I may desire or that I may declare the gospel boldly as I ought to speak. So, the next thing we just want to kind of look at 
is, after David's sin, what does he think of God? How does he see God? David sees God as someone that he can run to. When Adam and Eve sinned, they ran from God. And they hid from God. But David runs to him. After you sin, where do you go? Do you run to God? Asking? Repenting? Or do you run from God? Hiding? See, David saw God as someone who was full of steadfast love who had abundant mercy as a God who forgives sins and restores and gives back joy that was taken away. And you look at his hope, and you look at his faith, and you look at his confidence that he has in God. He says, purge me with this up, and I shall be clean. Watch me, and I shall be whiter than snow. David knew that this is what God did. So that's kind of breaking down repentance. And I want to break down uh, forgiveness a, a little bit, not as much time as we took in repentance, but we want to kind of look at what the forgiveness is. And just that forgiveness in a nutshell, right? True sin has occurred. In David's case, it was adultery, right, and murder. So true sin has occurred. And there is a punishment for sin that is necessary. And that sin has to be paid for, right? People were hurt. Bathsheba, Uriah, Joab, to name some of them, right? And as we look through this and understand what forgiveness is, true sin has occurred. Punishment is necessary. And looking at the whole thing, forgiveness of a single sin is not enough. Because to become before God, he says we need to be holy and blameless. But none of us are holy and blameless. Jesus Christ is the only one who is holy and blameless and who has led a perfect life and who can come before God. But God in his love sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross, to take your sin as his own sin. So that when he died on the cross, he did two things. He took your sin away as if you were no sin. And on top of that, he made you holy and blameless before God. So he took away the sin and he filled you with righteousness. And so when we say God forgives or God saves us, what we're really saying is those things is that God takes away the sin and he fills us with his holy, blameless life as if we had led this whole life that Jesus Christ did. So, God forgave David and God forgives us, right? How many times after we sin or if we have you know, a sin that we keep going over and over, it gets bigger and bigger. Do we think that God despises us? Do we think that God hates us before because of it? But when we repent, it says that God delights. It says that God delights in us when we repent. God loves a broken heart. The sacrifices of God, that God loves are a broken spirit. Right? See, God wants us to see our sin clearly, to feel our sin keenly, and to repent and to ask for forgiveness so that he can forgive our sins. And not just one particular sin, but of all of our sins, so that they may be forgiven. John Calvin says this. He says, Are we conscious of having committed any one sin? Let it be the means of recalling others to our recollection. 
until we are brought to prostrate ourselves before God in deep self-abasement. There's always going to be that sin that bothers us. There's always going to be the sin that we get into trouble for. There's always going to be the sin that we don't want anybody to find out about at all. And Calvin is just reminding us, when we think about that, examine our whole lives. It's not just one, right? It's, it's the heart that examines itself. The person is like someone who has a garden, right? And they're out there and they want to weed the garden. When they go out there, they don't just weed the big weeds or the single big weed in the center of the patch, right? They weed everything. They weed the small ones as well as the big ones. And so when you're going through there and you see that weed, you see that sin in your life, look for the other ones. Look for the small ones. Ask God to reveal them. Where are these other ones? So that you can confess all of your sins to God. God wants your entire heart. And what does David say? Create in me a clean heart. Not create in me a heart without that big sin, but create in me a clean heart, a whole heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Purge me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Watch me, I'll be whiter than snow. So, here's the most amazing thing that I found out about this story. So, I've been a Christian for decades. I've heard this story before. But this one single thing never, ever, ever hit me until I was reading one of the commentaries on this. You know what? These sins of David happened about a year before. Or almost a year, or maybe more than a year, right? Because what happened? David goes out, he sees Bathsheba. Bathsheba gets pregnant. He does the whole thing with Uriah. Uriah dies, they keep going. And then it says Bathsheba had the child. And then God sent Nathan to him. So, this sin has been over a year. Think about that. David's sin and who he was, he had this sin for over a year, or at least a year, nine months, anyway, we can say that. So just for ease, we're going to say a year. He had this sin for a year. And this was huge. This was absolutely huge, right? And it was eating away for a year. No wonder David said, I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. And not only that, but he's suppressing his conscience over and over, day after day, week after week, month after month. And we know that if we suppress our conscience long enough, we can train ourselves to not hear God. We can train ourselves to tune out the voice of the Holy Spirit. We can tune ourselves to see other people, but not to see our own sins. And here David is for a year, so he doesn't even see his own sin. Eventually, he just is, is just blind to it. But the most amazing thing now is that God doesn't abandon David. And God doesn't give up on David. And God doesn't cast David aside. God sends Nathan to David to show him the truth about himself the truth that he had buried deep down within so that his conscience will be awakened. Isn't that amazing? God initiated this. God initiated this so that David would see his sin, that he would be grieved because of his sin, that he would repent because of his sin, that he would be forgiven and that he would be restored, so that he would be made whole. He would be full of joy again, full of gladness. He would rejoice. He'd be cleansed. He'd be whiter than snow. He'd have a clean heart and a right spirit within him. That he would be in God's presence and have the joy of God's salvation. 
No wonder David had such confidence and hope and optimism that God would forgive him. And you can have that same hope too. Because this is what God promises you. And this is why God loves a broken heart over sin. And this is why God loves it when you repent. Because when you really repent, God really does forgive you. And God really does restore you. And you will be made whole. You will be full of joy and gladness and rejoice. And you will be cleansed and you will have that clean heart. And you will have that right spirit within you. And you will have the Holy Spirit. Because when you really repent, God really does forgive you. And so we started this saying, if you repent, God will forgive you. And I realized it was kind of long in the middle as we worked through the complexity. seems like learning is always like that, right? It's hard, it's difficult just to go, go through. It's hard to keep the eyes open, to stay awake, to go through. But that's that complexity, understanding. But now when we're on the other side, we want to be able to say, if I repent, God will forgive me. And not just of a sin from yesterday or last week, but long-term sins that have eaten away inside, that, you have, that have made you numb to those things around you. And God initiates this, right? God doesn't abandon you. God continues to reach out. So if you repent, God will forgive you. The band can come up as I close in prayer. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and we just thank you so much, Lord, that you forgive us. Lord, we thank you so much that you initiate it, that it comes from you. And Lord, we know that facing our sin, facing ourselves, looking in that mirror, and seeing our sin is difficult. Because the Apostle Paul says it grieves us. But it is a godly grief that leads us to repentance, that leads to salvation. So Lord, I just pray that you will reveal our sins to us this morning. Lord, that we might see them and feel them. And that we might ask for your forgiveness. That we might repent. That you might forgive us and that you might restore us. And Lord, we thank you that you are true to your word. We thank you, Lord, that the things that we've talked about this morning are facts. They are found in your word. They are from you. If we repent, you will forgive us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.